0: This is Open to Hope Radio featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now here's Dr. Gloria.
1: Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Good morning from California, Heidi.
2: Good afternoon from New York, Mom. Good
1: to be here. Really, it is good to be here. It's good to be on the show and to help you brief people out there find hope again and happiness after loss. We hope that you're watching our television shows either in New York City on Manhattan Neighborhood Network, on Time Warner, what Channel 56 on Sunday nights, or that you are going to our website, right, Heidi? As you said, it gets confusing about all the time zones and that, but you can watch our shows on our website at opentohope.com. And on that website, we have, I don't know, probably about 6,000 cataloged articles right now, radio shows, YouTubes, all sorts of information to help you on your journey. And the person we're having on the show today is one of the people that writes for Open to Hope and has written some great articles. So why don't you introduce her, Heidi.
2: Okay, I'd love to, Mom, because I'm very interested in this topic, as I know many of you are. We are going to talk today about understanding unresolved grief. And our guest today is Sharon Greenlee, and she was on the show several years ago with my mom. And Sharon is a professional counselor and author. She facilitates grief and suicide survivor support groups. Sharon has extensive experience working with children who have experienced traumatic loss. Her current book is Grief Entanglements, Understanding Unresolved Grief, and what you can do about it.
1: Welcome to the show, Sharon. Thank
3: you, Heidi. It's a treat to be here, and I'm loving meeting you today.
1: Yeah, it's great. Thank you. Great to have you on the show. Uh, Last time I interviewed you, you were in Colorado, right? And now you've moved? I was in Centennial,
3: Wyoming. We lived there for 21 years, and I've moved to Fort Collins since then. All
1: right. And you you have a new job there in Fort Collins?
3: I have my private practice. I'm not working with hospices clients at this time, and I'm just doing private counseling.
1: Uh, All right. So tell us about writing, of course, because you have taken on a topic that is really important to us, isn't it, Heidi? Mm -hmm.
2: Absolutely, because both my mom and I interview so many people, meet so many people, and work with so many people who are stuck in their trauma narratives and who have unresolved grief because of the trauma that they've been through after a loss.
3: You're
1: yeah, exactly right, Heidi. Yeah. So, so talk to us about the unresolved grief, and um, you know, the the what is that? If I'm out there, how do I know if my grief is unresolved?
3: Good question. Well, if I can if I can answer the question by kind of telling a, a bit about how I came to find these different stories, in listening to literally hundreds of people's grief stories, and this is what I call it, I started hearing patterns and I, I started collecting those patterns and, and writing them down and at first I thought I had five and I called them entanglements that that caused the people to get stuck in the grief process. It turned out there were actually six and you know it may turn out there are more but I, I think I think this is it and everything that happens to someone after someone dies, each person processes that story in their own way, and as a result of how they process the story, kind of determines how they're going to come out at the end of the tunnel.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And I say we process the story and hopefully come into the light again. Mm-hmm. And I call that integrating the grief.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: We don't we don't forget the person. We don't stop crying. We don't we 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 don't let go. But we carry the person and that person's love with us.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And that doesn't happen to everyone. They they keep reliving the story over and over. Now, you mentioned it a trauma, and mm-hmm. in some cases, it really is a trauma, especially in the entanglement that I... that circumstances of the death. Now, that can really... It's because of the post traumatic trauma that comes from that that they cannot get
1: rid of it. So they keep but, telling yeah, themselves yeah. the same story, and you know, what, it, it, the, with the brain, we've talked about this, uh, honey, and I a bit is that the brain we think of it as being very sophisticated. It's really not that sophisticated in in a way that we form those brain patterns and those uh-huh. neurological connections and and. Uh-huh. I, people don't realize if you relive a trauma, you can relive it so that it, it, the brain it has the same process as when it just happened. So what do you do if somebody's had a trauma? We hear about people who've done CPR, and, they can, and they never the person doesn't survive, and they, they keep reliving that. W- what would you do with somebody who'd had that problem? Well,
3: there you're talking just about the post-traumatic. What I, what I do is a visual that I say, if you have an entanglement, just imagine that in one hand, you have the loss of the person you loved. And you can visualize that right now. You can just think of when that person lost, there was a big void, a terrible emptiness, and a lot of sadness.
1: Okay, now I want to say, now when you say this, I am closing my eyes, Heidi. Let's try it. We're closing our eyes, and we're thinking about I'm thinking about the loss of Scott and the void that it put in my life. Okay, now what? Okay. And, I, and I hope our okay. audience out there is trying the same thing. Okay.
3: Yeah. So, so in that one hand, you have what I call this earthly myth of this human being. Now, in the other hand, there are the circumstances that might have gone with it. And let's just say, the circumstances of that loss were traumatic, and I'm going to go just with yours, because every entanglement isn't really traumatic, but it's It's an entanglement. But I'm going to go with what you said. And so we have the traumatic loss, and I'm just going to use my son's death because it ended up helping me understand more about this. He was in a a truck, a gas truck, hit his car, and his car burned, and he was burned beyond recognition.
1: That sounds familiar because that's what happened to Scott also. Yeah.
3: Okay. Okay. So, from that, now we have the circumstances of the death in the left hand. And what happens if we don't resolve the grief and the circumstances of that loss? What happens is the right hand comes over and gets tangled up with the left hand. And if you could just imagine your arms wrapping around one another. And
1: I'm just doing that right now. We can even do it. Okay.
3: Okay. And so every time you think of the precious earthly myth of that human being that you so adored, everything comes back about what it must have been like to see that precious being burning in the car.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: We can't can't get rid of the grief because it's always entangled with the circumstance.
1: Okay, now what do we do? I'm tangled up here.
3: You're tangled up. And I have them tell their story, the, the person tell the story,
4: mm-hmm. and I
3: talk about how much they miss the person, and they, we talk about everything. And we put this back over in the right hand, it's the earthly myth.
1: And, and wait a minute now, hand, in the right hand, that's the earthly myth? Myth. That is the earthly myth. Myth, it's okay, the myth. myth
3: of that person that you no longer have. Okay, we've told and that I story. I that, that, that's called a natural grief. We okay. all have that.
1: Gee, and it's and so it's normal, right? Oh my
3: gosh, it's it's, it's it's normal. It's natural, and I call it its own. Pardon me, hellish road. I mean, it's it's just awful to walk. To be in grief over losing a person, it's the worst. Right. But if we also have in the left hand which hopefully we have separated down and put over here. Okay,
1: now I've got the both way- my hands out of you, Heidi, my right and my left. I've got the myth in the well, right. I have a
2: phone in my left, but I have
3: my right well, and my in my hand. <laughs> the <circumstances, laughs> in the left hand are the circumstances of that loss. And this, in, in this case, was, was the visual of him in the car. Okay. So you have mm-hmm. two things to resolve. You have the earthly myth... Which is it takes time. It takes, however, each of us can do it, and the help that we need, and it takes whatever professional or non-professional help you need in order to remove or change the visual of the circumstances of the death. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So in the book, now it could be that you have the earthly myth on the right hand, and God forbid, but some people hold six of the entanglements in the left
1: hand. Oh, wow. So so, so the left hand, I'm, I'm thinking of balance here. Uh, you know, the left me. hand could be very heavy, and the right hand, you oh, know. Oh, my goodness. One hand could be heavier than the other. So we have to look. We've entangled now, and we're trying to get right. some kind of balance.
3: Right. But what we have is two different issues to work on. We have the grief in the right hand of the earthly of the person, we have the circumstance if this is the entanglement in the left. Now, if there happens to be two or more entanglements, you can just imagine that's how many hands are on the left
1: mm-hmm. that you
3: have to untangle.
1: Right, right. So,
3: so, yeah. So, then in the book, what I try to do, or it's the same thing I try to do in private practice, is I have some different techniques and strategies for the person to use to help change the left hand.
1: Okay, give us a couple of your top top ones.
3: Shall we stay with circumstances of the death?
1: Yeah, we'll have to. We'll have to. Um, let's just stay with the, the loss. You know, the death of a child, and you know, burned to death in an automobile accident. You know. Okay.
3: Okay. Okay. One of the best ways, because this is such a trauma of anything that you've experienced either personally, like in the tsunami, like in... uh,
1: Or a shooting at Newtown?
3: A shooting, yes, any of this. And Mm when the people have experienced it, then every time they think of the person, they go to that experience again. So one of the the strategies that I've used for a long time, and it's, it's known in cognitive behavioral therapy, I've just maybe put some different touches to it, and it's... It's called reframing, and it's it's changing the picture in the mind.
4: Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: And this is where what you were saying is exactly true, Gloria, because the brain does it goes it goes. I call it a track. The brain is on a track, and I just have people visualize that if it's a place you don't want the brain and the thought to be, imagine it in a subway, imagine it below ground. And so what we have to do is we have to move that track that train above ground and into daylight.
1: Hey, Heidi, I like and, that because you're in New York and you know how the subways go in and out from underground, <laughs> yeah, right? I,
2: I, and I visualized yeah. that immediately, Mom, when she said that.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: So,
3: and and I, I have clients as young as 7 years old who can visualize that and jump that and every time what they have to do because in the subway is the harmful, hurtful, negative thought patterns. Mm-hmm. And we have to change those, reframe them, put them on the track that comes up and jumps up above the ground. Mm-hmm. And I imagine them seeing that in the light. So the thing that I use with that is I ask the person to close their eyes. I usually have soft music. And I ask them, first of all, to see their loved ones in one of the sweetest, most wonderful visuals that they can. And if it can be not made up, it, it can be from a photograph that spurs him in.
1: Yeah, I can see Scott like, in his ball hat. What do you see, Heidi? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that
2: visual.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay, so
1: can you even see the shirt he's wearing? Each of you put uh-huh. whatever
3: shirt you want. Okay. okay. And, and see the expression on his face. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's now, smiling. While you're do- okay, now while you're doing that, imagine that picture in your mind and just mentally make a tab of it.
1: And I'm going to say on your thumb. Oh, okay. So I'm I'm going to put that picture. Um, um, can I tap my? I want to tap my one finger on top of my thumb to put it there. Just kind of stick or it can there. Oh, you tap your thumb on the desk. Oh, okay. And you that's can do whatever you. Oh, I like that. I, I was thinking of the elastic band, Heidi. How how you know you, you sometimes in cognitive yeah. behavior they have you flip it. But I kind of like yeah. this picture on my thumb. What do you? How about you, Heidi? Mm-hmm.
2: I do too. I like that idea.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. Now, this is where that picture of Scott's going to remain. Now, whatever he's wearing, the look on his face, wherever he is, that's always on the thumb. And so then you close your eyes and you think about that. Mm-hmm. And so the next one is a second picture. It can be at a different age any time. And you put that on the index finger. Okay. And you create five visual memories of that loved one, all in beautiful scenarios. Wow. And you, and you see each one. And so what we have to do is interrupt, remember, take the, the, the train out of the subway,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and we have to pop it up above ground. So each time when you think of the loved one, when you think of that, and there's anything that comes that is not Of a a beautiful thought at that time. I should say it goes back to the the horrible memory. You just ask for a sweet intervention, and whatever that is, I usually just put thumbs up to remind myself. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Yeah, thumbs up, and that's the because that's the trigger. We have the brain has to have a trigger. So the minute the thumb goes up, imagine the train popping up out of the subway, because you're not going to stay down there and think of that horrible accident and how he died. You're going to instead bring it up and you start running to
1: five fingers. Well, let me say, um, I, I, I uh, think it's going to take, for me, now you're telling me this, I can do the one. I don't know about you, Heidi, but I think it would take me maybe five or ten days to get to the whole five. What's your thought, Heidi?
2: I had a hard... Yes, I had the same thing. And maybe it's just because we're just starting this. I could... The thumb was easy. And then when I started trying to put uh, pictures of him on the other fingers, it just took a minute. Maybe it's because we, you know, just started this process. Well,
3: what I always have clients do, and what I do, is I write down in the beginning. I just write down what the five are, because I have to memorize them. Mm-hmm.
4: But the main
3: thing is, is... The main thing is that you are tricking your brain to move out of that, that that sad visual into the other one. You know, so you know
1: even what's interesting to me about it as you talk about this is it's complicated enough to have to use some brain energy to do it over time, writing it down and all that. I think that's important because you're moving out of a very deep you want to say subterranean area. So you need a lot, you need a little more energy and, and you need to put a little thought into it. You know, I, I want to leave this with this now, Sharon, because I think you've just given people an actual tool that after listening to this show, they can sit down and use and so, mm-hmm. uh, so I want to keep it with that simple. And I want to say to people, if they want to know more and more of the ideas that you do, um, they can get your book uh, on Resolve okay. Grief. And they can also, tell, tell them where they can reach you and uh, find uh, your material.
3: Well, the book is on Amazon.com. And so if they would go there, uh, if, then if they just type in books at Amazon and my name or the book, Title grief entanglement. It will come up, and um, that's,
1: that's where it is. Well, and, and also they can find you on OpenUp.com. You have some great articles on there, and uh, and we appreciate you know all the all the things that you've done for the world. And I, I you know, you these ideas are very refreshing, and I, th- I think you've really given us something uh, very useful here. So we re- thank
2: you, Sharon, no, and, and I agree with my, what my mom said.
1: All right. Well, th- thanks again for being on the show, Sharon. Uh, hopefully we'll see I you it. one Thank of our events. You.
3: Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> well, thanks for listening to the show today. And uh, Heidi, I just wanted to say, I, I really thought Sharon gave us a great little intervention there.
2: She did. And like you said, Mom, it's retraining the brain. And it is so important because we don't want our last, you know, every time I pull up Scott, I don't want the visual to be the last way that I saw him. I want it to be about, the first 17 and a half years of our lives together, not the last seconds of our that I saw him. And she is, she's having me go back to those memories and retrain my brain. And I love it. I, I totally agree with you. I think it's great.
1: Yeah. I, I thought that was a great little intervention. So I'm going to be interested in reading her book and that's just come out and uh, getting some more ideas on grief entanglements. And I like the... the and uh, the, the entanglement idea, Heidi, and the right and left hand, because mm-hmm. I love the fact that we can have normal grief, and it doesn't all yeah. mix up together in this mm-hmm. big hodgepodge. So it's a way to, to separate it. Anyway, well, thanks for listening to the show today, and uh, please visit us on Facebook and put your events on our international calendar and uh, watch our television show and listen in again next week. God bless.